Hello and welcome to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. Encounter is a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm here in the studio with my good friend and brother in Christ, Patrick Rice. Hey, brother. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm so good. Awesome. I'm so excited. Today we are so blessed. We have Father John Ignatius. Uh, he's going to be joining us on the show. He is the founder of a new evangelization religious order called the Servants of Christ Jesus. Man, Patrick, I'm so excited. We both know Father John Ignatius. He is a man of great joy and great zeal, and he's just building up the kingdom of God, right? He's one of my favorite priests of all time. <laughs> that's, that's... And he knew me before my conversion. Yes, praise Whoa. the Lord. So Father John Ignatius, their their congregation, the Servants of Christ Jesus, they their apostle is basically preaching teaching, and spiritual direction for youth and young adults all across America. They're out of Denver, Colorado. Um, they're just doing amazing things all in light of Ignatian spirituality. It's just going to be a powerful show. So, Patrick, can you open us up in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for the, the revival that you're doing in the Catholic Church. I thank you for the new springtime that you've called forth from Pope John Paul II. And I thank you even more, Holy Spirit, for raising up new orders, for raising up new movements, including the servants of Christ Jesus, Lord. I pray that what you're doing through them would be like a prophetic door that would be open, that more and more people and orders and movements would come through, Father. I thank you for the hope that we have from the power and the love that's being released in our in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Patrick. Yes, Lord, we want all of that. We want more of you, Lord. You know, uh, Patrick, something amazing is happening in the church right now. Like, right, this is like not a dull time to be Catholic. <laughs> every every day is exciting. <laughs> it is. We are just blessed to be a part of this this new wave uh, of life in the church, and we're seeing it not just in one place, but all over the world. It's amazing, and our popes have been talking about it and talking about it, and we use all these different. Uh, words that are very easy to become like uh, pop phrases to us as Catholics as opposed to like real deep internal realities, right? So what are some of those phrases, right? Like the new evangelization or the new springtime in the church or the new Pentecost. And and these these phrases really share with us that what God is doing is he's, he's about something new in our church, but it's not all that new. What's it grounded in? Jesus. <laughs> it's grounded in the, yes, yeah. Jesus and, and the first Pentecost, right? That we are living in, in the times. I like to say that we are living, uh, in, in Acts of the Apostles chapter 2017, right? Like it never ends. And so God is making himself present today in the same way that he was pouring his spirit out in the early church. Actually, John Paul II was just so, so, like he just dove into this, right? And over and over again in 1998, uh, John Paul II brought for, forth this this huge community, this huge gathering of uh, these new communities that were forming, these new movements that you prayed about, and all these new movements came together on Pentecost Sunday. And, and what JP two said to them was just just beautiful. This is what he says in his homily during this mass on Pentecost nineteen ninety eight. He says, "Whenever the Spirit intervenes, he leaves people astonished." Mm. He brings about events of amazing newness. He radically changes persons and history. This is the unforgettable experience of the Second Vatican Council, during which, under the guidance of the same spirit, the church rediscovered the charismatic dimension as one of her fundamental elements. It is not only through the sacraments 
and the ministrations of the church that the Holy Spirit makes holy the people, leads them and enriches them with his virtues. Allotting his gifts according as he wills, he also distributes special graces or charisms among the faithful of every rank. He makes them fit and ready to undertake various tasks and offices for the renewal and the building up of the church. Wow. Amen to yeah, that, right? Like, I want it all. Wow. Come thank on. you. And what, what, our, what our Holy Father spoke that day was so powerful, right? He's, he's, he's saying that it's not only the sacraments and the ministrations of the church or the hierarchy of the church, but it's, it's also this charismatic dimension of the church that are so necessary that the three work side by side together in harmony. And the Holy Spirit, he, he talks about how Vatican Council was so, the Second Vatican Council was so important because what it did was it, it brought back this charismatic dimension of the church. It brought back this fundamental reality of the charisms. And he quoted Lumen Gentium paragraph 12. And it was actually, if you read like what was happening when they were writing Lumen Gentium, the, the council fathers were debating whether or not the charisms were um, meant simply for the early church or if they were meant for the, the entire history of the church, right? And there was a debate going on. And as they, as they reflected and prayed on the scripture and the biblical understanding of the charisms, they, they, they determined that there was no reason that the charisms were limited only for the startup of the church, but they were, they were meant for the entire church through the whole history of the church. And so part of the new evangelization is this new Pentecost, a new resurgence and renewal of the charisms of the church that are meant for the building up and the sanctification of all of God's faithful. I think what was going on in the church is something that we face a lot, like in terms of their discernment of the role of the charisms. A lot of times, I think there's there's fundamentally two ways that we can interpret Scripture. Mm. We, can either, we can either interpret Scripture through the lens of our experience. We can filter um, put our experience through, and then we read the Scripture, and if we don't see it happening, then we're going to come up with an interpretation that justifies it. Oh, yeah, right? like it, it used to happen, but God doesn't do that exactly. anymore because I don't see it happening. The other way is to allow the Scripture, the Word of God, to determine our experience. Whoa! So whoa. We either say let, that again. I'll, say I'll, that I'll, again. I'll, I'll do it again. <laughs> we either let we we either let uh, the scripture determine our experiences, or our experience determine our our, our interpretation of scripture. Mm. And I I don't know about you, but my experience is pretty lacking. I think God is a lot bigger than me. So I'm going to start with the Word of God. I'm going to repent of any way I've put God out, you know, inside of a box. Yep. And when I do that, I give Him permission to flow. And that's when we, we say, Holy Spirit, we need you. We're not seeing the signs, wonders, and miracles that you promised. We're not seeing the promise that if we believe in Jesus, we'll do the, the works that He did and greater works. Holy Spirit, I need you. And like that, mm. I think that uh, reality that when we start with the scripture and say, let that be my experience, then it stirs up a hunger. This is, I, I just want our listeners not, not to allow this pass you by. That when we read the scriptures daily, um, what Patrick is suggesting is that we should not uh, j- justify our lack of experience of what God promises in scripture um, to, to say that this doesn't happen anymore. But what God is promising in Scripture, He is a God who keeps His promises. And God wants this to happen in the church. And the Holy Father, uh, John Paul II, and all the Holy Fathers since have said these charisms are alive. Let's, let's seek them in greater, uh, intensity. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there, there's, there's two things going on as well. I don't know if our, a lot of our listeners know this, but one of the, uh, one of the reasons that Luther, when Luther was going through the schism with the church and, the church was trying to, you know, bring him, rope him back in. 
One of the things that they were saying, uh, the church was saying, is the reason that the Catholic Church is the true church was miracles, that there were still miracles going on in the church. And, the, you know, that, that was, that, that was a, a sign that pointed to the legitimacy of mm. the church. Luther actually came up with the doctrine of cessationism, that the spiritual gifts actually stopped after the death of the last apostle, and anything else is actually not, you know, authentic. Hmm. So he was the one that had that, that um, hermeneutic of skepticism, that interpretation of skepticism toward anything happening now. And I, I think that if our listeners have that same kind of skepticism, you have the same uh, mindset that Luther had about the whole thing. And uh, the good, good news is that our church met in Vatican II and clarify definitively that this is still alive and well and moving in power. Now, Dan, the three elements that I love is that we have a hierarchical church, a sacramental church, and a charismatic church. Yep. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna put throw a, a, a few things out there. This is just my personal take on it. But if you have let's say, um, if you have a sacraments, a sacramental church without a hierarchical church, what do you have? I think you have uh, you know radical traditionalism. Where they 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 say, oh, we're going to do all our liturgies and our sacraments, but we don't have the church. You have uh, schismatic Catholicism. Mm. Now, if you have, um, you know, char- charisms without hierarchy, what do you have? You have Pentecostalism with no authority, mm. and there's not a, a strong intellectual um, edge, and um, you know, the the river has no uh, no form to it. It's kind of going everywhere. Yep, it's like a flood. But if you have a sacramental and a hierarchical church. Without the charisms, the charismatic dimension, you have a powerless church. Wow. And I think that right now, in my experience, I, I pretty much grew up in a, there, it was a, definitely sacramental, definitely hierarchical, but no emphasis or exposure to the charismatic element. And what have we seen in that experiment is powerless church, numbers dropping, what are we going to do? And God's saying, I want to release the power again. And that that's where the, you know, the charismatic renewal, we're celebrating 50 years with the Duquesne revival, we're celebrating 500 years from the Reformation. This is a big time right now, but God is actually bringing it all back together. And one of the things I love about the servants of Christ Jesus is that they are embracing the power. They're embracing the spiritual gifts to bring forth. And I'm seeing an amazing harvest in everything they do. Their order's growing amazing. Yeah, no, the charisms are so important to our church because what they do is they bring power, exactly like you're saying, Patrick. And uh, we want to make sure that we're just a people who are hungry for God's power to be in our midst. That we, It's so easy to say, okay, I, I have these natural gifts, and I'm going to do things naturally with my own gifts and talents. And, um, and, and I'm going to discern what my natural gifts are, and I'm only going to operate and serve the church with the things that I'm good at, right? And, and what that does is it actually takes away the supernatural power of God blessing the church. And so we get a lot, lot of ordinary people doing ordinary things or natural people doing natural things. But what God wants us to do is he wants us to ha- have an encounter with him so that our ordinary lives can become extraordinary, extraordinary. and our natural lives can become supernatural. supernatural. And these don't have to be things that are like crazy and wacky and weird. Like actually, the, if, if the charismatic dimension should be astonishing, but it shouldn't be weird, right? Like we don't want weird Catholics. We want astonishment. We want people to be amazed at the power of God working through natural human beings in supernatural ways. Patrick, can you share a little bit about like what are some of the charisms? Absolutely. So the list of charisms is found in 1 Corinthians 12, all right? And so St. Paul's talking about, you know, to everyone 
the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Now, what do we, what do we mean by manifestation of the Spirit? Manifestations of the Holy Spirit who is love. So charisms are manifestations of God's love hmm. to other people. Uh, I've heard it said, and I love this quote, that charisms are, are, are simply high-tech love. <laughs> it's high-tech yep. way to love people. Like, for example, if you're walking on the street and you, you see, like, you know, this guy holding his back, he's kind of in pain, and Dan, you and I, we've seen this many times. What, you know, it, what's one way to love him? Like, hey, how are you? Can I pray, you know, uh, I, I'll go pray for you that, that God will help you out, you know, versus like, hey, can I just pray that, that God's presence would show up and he heal you? Mm. That's such a high-tech way to love people, yep. is to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and bring healing to their body, and then to watch the way that they respond to that love. So, Charisms are simply, it's high-tech love that we have access to through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. So I just mentioned one right there is the the gift of healing. But there's also words of wisdom. There's Mm. words of knowledge. There's the gift of prophecy. There's the gift of discernment of spirits. There's the gift of uh, of varieties of tongues. There's the gift of faith. There's a gift of interpretation of tongues. Um, Yeah, and and I could go on. Just lost track. Right did you here. say the gift of prophecy? Yeah, I did. yeah. There's and, and well, the beautiful thing about the servants of Christ Jesus, like you said, they're operating the gifts. And Father John Ignatius, what he has done is he's experienced he has he has experienced the this encounter with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit washing over him. And as we'll hear in his testimony, once he experienced the power of God washing over him, it, he was filled with gifts to bless the church. And immediately, like within weeks after uh, having a, a, a a prayer over him for outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he was all of a sudden able to bless others with the gifts of, of discernment of spirits and spiritual direction and all kinds of just amazing gifts to pour forth. And listeners, this isn't a reality that's just meant for Father John Ignatius because he's the founder of religious community, right? Like this is meant for every single one of us, that God wants to pour his presence upon us, his gifts, his graces upon us so that we can bless others. And I know that in the depths of your heart, you desire a church that is alive and you desire a people of God who are alive and you see the lost and the forsaken and you want to have the power to bless them. And that is what the charismatic dimension of the church is. It is God giving you his own divine power to bless others. And so, Father, we just come before you right now. We just pray that you would send your spirit anew, afresh upon your people Fill them with your power so that they may become your blessing in the world, that they may manifest your love to their friends, to their neighbors, to their family members. Fill them up, Lord. Just give them all the diverse charisms of the church. Give them the charisms of the Holy Spirit so that they can start ministering your love to others. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Encounter, a production of St. Gabriel Radio and broadcast on EWTN Global Catholic Radio. We're going to be right back and hear the life-changing testimony of Father John Ignatius. Amazon Echo is your virtual personal assistant that allows you to use just your voice. You can listen to Encounter with Dan Demite and Patrick Rice just by saying, Alexa, play EWTN Radio. Check out the Amazon Echo today. This is Father Joseph Mary. Join the poor Clares of Perpetual Adoration at Our Lady of the Angels Monastery and the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word as we pray for those who have suffered abuse during a holy hour for healing and justice. Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN TV and Radio Classics. 
Mother Angelica. We have to get back into our hearts and minds the value of life. If you don't care about the unborn, I don't think you're going to care about the elderly. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Hello and welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people and launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. My name is Dan Dimite. I'm joined here in studio with Patrick Rice, and we are welcoming on the show Father John Ignatius. Yeah, Father, welcome, thank Father. you so much for coming on. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Yes, we are so blessed to have you, uh, Father. Blessed we just we, and we're we're blessed by uh, the way you've responded to the Lord in your life. Can you just share with us? So you grew up in Southern California. Um, what was it like being a Catholic in Southern California growing up? Uh, there were many good-willed people who had no idea um, what they were doing in catechesis, and sometimes in liturgy as well. And so uh, parish life in the 70s was, uh, um, was good-willed, but sometimes um, empty-headed and empty-hearted. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, um, it was good to grow up in the sacraments, uh, but, the, uh, but the faith was weak. The catechesis was, uh, was uh, empty and vain. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of collages and artwork, but no substance behind <laughs> yeah. it and no real... Uh, um, anointing of the Holy Spirit, either, and so uh, um, I grew up as a as a good kid in a boring church that um, also um, also failed to catechize as well. So there wasn't anything intellectual, there wasn't anything affective, and there wasn't anything kind of missionary about that about uh, about parish life in the in the seventies. Um, what I what I did here was the gospel every Sunday at mass, uh, but what I didn't get was um, any kind of personal. A call, personal challenge, personal relationship um, mm. with the Lord, and and that didn't happen until I was sixteen. And it, and um, uh, of all places, um, it didn't happen um, in California. It happened in Europe, and it and it happened uh, not in a church environment, but in a in a kind of a more secular environment. So there I was, there I was in uh, in Europe traveling with some uh, high school students with our history teacher, and it was uh, it was awesome. Um, it was an awesome trip, but it wasn't a Catholic trip or a Christian trip. Um, but fortunately, God placed me alongside one Christian, um, one Christian on the trip that uh, kind of kept intriguing me, kept asking me questions um, about my faith. Um, and he wasn't pushy. He was just uh, he was it was just an important thing for him. And uh, when you roomed with this Christian, you know, at the end of the day that he would uh, he'd pull out his Bible, do his own personal devotional and put it away. He was the life of the party. He was uh, he was full of joy. Um, and uh, towards the end of the trip. Um, wouldn't uh, wouldn't God have it that I would be his roommate um, in Amsterdam of all places? Oh, I'm the wow. only person that in Amsterdam has met Christ Jesus in my experience. Uh, <laughs> and so, so most people don't go to Amsterdam for Christ, but that's where God decided in a hotel room in Amsterdam. I asked the question. You know, um, uh, my friend's name was Kevin. I said, Kevin. Uh, my life is good, but how do you get what you have? You have more in relationship to Jesus Christ. Mm. And, um, and it was a very basic, very, um, uh, very introductory, just uh, kind of prompted a prayer, you know, of, of surrender and of invitation of the Lord to be, uh, invitation to Jesus to be Lord and, and God. And so there I was kind of like, all right, so in my own heart, um, I said my first kind of prayer of surrender and prayer of invitation. And, um, I, I knew it was bold. I knew it was new. Um, what I didn't know was that God was going to answer that prayer in that very moment. 
And that prayer of surrender and prayer of invitation, it was like uh, light piercing the darkness. And I didn't even know there was darkness there. And it wasn't a darkness of depression or uh, oppression or sin. Um, I mean, I was a sinner, but but it wasn't like I was um, overly afflicted. It was just this kind of ignorance parting, and Jesus, who was the way and the truth and the life, came to me. Um, uh, visually and spiritually, and I knew that I'd encountered something that I couldn't have come up with. Um, I'd encountered someone who was um, uh, bigger than my mind, um, bigger than my heart, and um, and all of a sudden was in my life in a new and a definitive way. Wow. And um, for, for me, um, going forward after that, my life was never the same. Um, and uh, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was um, at the center of my heart now. And moving forward past that, um, I wanted anything and everything that would lead me closer to Christ. Wow. I, Praise the Lord. I love that story. I love how you, <laughs> I, that, the, what you said to your friend in Amsterdam, like, right, my life is good, but how do you get what you've got? Like, There's more. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I love what a, what a great friend, too. And, I, you know, he didn't just like, he didn't just tell you about Jesus. He he did he pray with you? It sounded like he like actually helped helped pray uh, that prayer of surrender with you. He actually prompted the prayer, which was good for me because I um I needed to the way I made I needed to pray it myself. I needed yeah. to I needed to step in. I needed to uh uh, to offer myself to the Lord, to surrender to the Lord, and to invite the Lord in. And so he kind of prompted it, and then he just you know stepped aside and um and let and let me step towards the lord and i would i guess i would say that seems to be my vocation now is to um is to sh- point the way to the lord maybe like john the baptist and show people jesus and say there he is go right. after him and here is a way to do it and there are many many ways to do it but here's a way to do it and when people kind of end up in their own voice asking the lord and pursuing the lord and um surrendering to the lord um, the Lord is um, the Lord finds that kind of prayer irresistible, and so prompting people to pray um, in their own voice um, to Jesus that you know Jesus just uh, Jesus just comes, Jesus just comes. Mm, mm, I and love that. So following that. my conversion, uh, what I did was I uh, whatever would lead me to Christ, and and uh, for me that was a, a, a youth group that had praise and worship, a youth group that was scripture centered, a youth group that was full of youth and vibrancy and fun, and um, in fellowship with other Christians. Um, diving into the Word of God and um, enjoying the praise um, based on the Scriptures, um, I just grew. Um, I grew as a Christian. I grew um, as a young man. Um, I grew in fellowship with other people. And uh, within a year, um, um, I met a priest uh, who was also full of that same kind of vibrant joy um, and that love of the Lord. And he handed me a a, a book that changed my life um, um, after the scriptures, probably the life of St. Francis of Assisi, um, on, uh, between my junior and senior year, just showed me um, a way of being all out for Jesus. Um, and St. Francis of Assisi impressed me because he didn't live in Bible times. You know, he lived 1,200 years after Christ, and he had that love, that joy, that vibrancy, that life of praise, but also that life of, like, radical self-emptying. Yeah. And the way he spent his life um, for, for Christ, for his church, uh, for the poor— and just had nothing but Jesus, you know, and being a beloved son of the Father under the influence of the Holy Spirit, um, gave me an imagination and a desire uh, to, to move that direction. It was gradual, it was slow, um, but St. Francis um, imaged for me a Christ-like life wow. uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, so that was kind of like the seed of my own vocation, was encountering um, a, a joyful priest 
and uh, and the life of St. Francis of Assisi. Father, what was uh, what story from the life of St. Francis impacted you the most? You know, um, I think it was his nakedness in the square where he was willing to give out, give away everything. And it reminded me of Christ's own nakedness, both in the manger and on the cross. Wow. That kind of Jesus was stripped, you know. It's one of the stations of the cross. Jesus was stripped, kind of voluntarily surrendering everything and trusting the Father, the Heavenly Father, with everything. And when St. Francis of Assisi, you know, um, at, the, at, the, uh, at the nagging of his dad, just kind of like returns everything to his earthly father and trusts as Heavenly Father in that radical moment of naked self-surrender, um, that I think was um, one of the many episodes in St. Francis's life that just said, wow, this man really loves the Lord and trusts the Heavenly Father. So it sounds like you, uh, uh, so a Protestant friend helps lead you to an encounter with Jesus. You start getting involved in probably what, like a non-denominational youth group? That's right. That's right. For for about a year and a half, for about and, a year and a half. And, and then, then this... uh, and then um, with my my encounter with the priest and my encounter with Francis of Assisi, I began um, reading a little bit more about Francis was a sold out Catholic. This, this priest was kind of immersed in the sacramental life of the church, and it it kind of incited in me a hunger uh, for um, for what the church actually taught. And that wasn't readily available, you know, in 1985, 1986, at the end of my high school years. They hadn't published the catechism yet, mm. so nobody, everybody was conflicted about whether the church still taught or didn't teach or whatever. And that was my uh, my mom's uh, Baltimore catechism, actually, that helped me to see that there was like an intellectual, scriptural, and tradition, you know, that, that kind of bolstered this, this faith. And because it quoted the scriptures so much, as well as another uh, catechism by Father John Harden, um, the 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 conviction kind of um, also came alongside that consolation. So I've been really consoled in the Lord, but my conviction was a little bit lacking because I didn't have any of the uh, any of the uh, um, the uh, the intellectual or the or the uh, the the, uh, the catechetical kind of foundation of the church. And and so uh, once I started reading, I was like, I became a sold out kind of sacramental Catholic as well, and uh, asked for and received confirmation just before I graduated from high school. Um, so I pursued um, confirmation and ended up uh, enrolling in a Catholic university, uh, Loyola Marymount University, and uh, uh, shout out to Sister Mary Beth Ingham, um, who is my uh, philosophy teacher. She gave me uh, uh, church fathers and doctors of the church, wow. um, Aquinas and Bonaventure, and um, this other side of me that was kind of like really thirsty for truth, Jesus who is the truth, um, I saw that I saw that the church had been reflecting and articulating um, philosophically and theologically kind of everything that she'd believed for hey. centuries and centuries, and I'd received that um, just before I met Father Bob Caro, who uh, hey, Father, we're the we're gonna take of Saint Ignatius. We're going to take mm-hmm. a quick break, and then we'll hear about more about your discovery of the spiritual exercises. You're listening to Encounter, a, product, a co-production of Saint Gabriel Radio, NWT Radio. We'll be right back. The Trump administration rolls back the Health and Human Services contraceptive mandate. U.S. bishops calling for the total elimination of nuclear weapons. Pope Francis offers prayers for the victims of the California wildfires. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed a bill banning abortions after 20 weeks. And Pope Francis says the death penalty is contrary to the gospel. Your link to news headlines Catholics count on at the top of the hour. Weekdays on EWTN Radio. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. 
Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use. This means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Bishop Robert Barron thinks Catholic radio is important. So should you. Hello and welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. We are joined here today with a, a man of a, a, with an extraordinary mission, Father John Ignatius. He is the founder of a new religious order, the Servants of Christ Jesus, whose special apostolate is preaching, teaching, and spiritual direction for youth and young adults with the Franciscan poverty and an Ignatian spirituality. So, Father John, you shared with us how your love for the Franciscan poverty came about. Where did your love for the Ignatian spirituality come about? Yes, under the direction of a very wise uh, Jesuit priest at Loyola Marymount University, I received for the first time um, an introduction to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola. And because the spiritual exercises are so rooted in Scripture, which I'd already been immersed in, um, and because the uh, spiritual exercises came from a saint who, for whom uh, Francis was a great inspiration for St. Ignatius and a great inspiration for, for me, I felt right at home in kind of going all out into these spiritual exercises, which just is a, just a deeper relationship uh, with Jesus himself. And so, so through the spiritual exercises, um, which invite us into a personal relationship with Jesus, not just in reading the words or understanding the words or analyzing the words of the Gospels, which I had already done to a large degree and applied, you know, the Gospel to my life. But uh, what Ignatius invites us to do in the spiritual exercises is to beg God to guide and direct us into a personal encounter with Jesus in our imagination. Um, mm. And because Jesus lives at the right hand of the Father, He's still alive, and He can invite us into contemplating His nativity. We can, and he can invite us into the journey um, on, the, on the road to Egypt. He can invite us into, you know, the, the Last Supper. He can invite us up Mount Tabor to witness His transfiguration. And becoming a disciple, a participant, sometimes per- being the person that's being healed, um, uh, by interacting with Jesus in a personal way, um, we uh, discover, I discovered, I discovered a depth of that personal um, relationship that was not only entering into his life, but he was entering into my life and speaking into my life, which revealed to me kind of a, a, another level of my vocation, which was uh, to, to abide with Jesus, to remain with Jesus, to walk with Jesus like Jesus, and I became confirmed um, in a conviction at the end of college that I was probably going to be called uh, to follow Jesus in poverty and chastity and obedience. And so I am just so grateful uh, for that introduction to the spiritual exercises. It wasn't the, it was the first time, but not the last time, that I would make the spiritual exercises um, in a deep and profound way and where um, I would encounter Christ and Christ would speak, speak more profoundly into my life. Mm. Father, for our listeners who want to have a a, de- a more uh, deeply, um, just w- they want to encounter the scriptures more and encounter Christ in the scriptures more in the way that you just spoke. What is uh, Saint Ignatius, or what do you suggest? Uh, how do we use our imagination to really do that? Uh, well, we we beg, we beg God to guide and direct um, all of what we're doing. And so many people equate imagination with fiction. 
which, um, which is unfortunate when we turn to our prayer, because our, our churches are full with, of imaginative representations in stained glass windows, in statues, in icons. All of those are imaginative depictions of, um, of the mysteries of our faith. And, and so if, if artists are free to do that, if movie makers are free to do that, um, then aren't we, aren't we um, capable of surrendering, you know, our intellect, our memory, our, our um, understanding, our will, and our imagination to God mm. to show us? And so, so Ignatius proposes we beg for grace, that God would be the director, and that we would just kind of um, 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 cooperate and receive. And then um, Ignatius proposes that you read the Scripture passage, and you, and you um, enter in um, under the influence of of the Lord, you enter into the to the way, to the journeying, and the scene. And and I don't know um, without a director if I could have ever done this. Um, one of the things that Ignatius proposes and expects, you know, is that is that this happens in a dialogical relationship with a spiritual director. At least the at least the instruction and kind of the coaching of it, um, because it's uh, it's it's a it's kind of a subtle way of praying. It's a beautiful way of praying, and it's not excluded from everybody. But um, but it is good to kind of have that dialogue before and that dialogue after. Um, but uh, but Ignatius presupposes that somebody would be uh, would not only be doing this on their own but they'd be doing it in a fellowship and so wow. so uh, so that's a um, um, so that's the way Ignatius proposes it but um, anybody yeah. can kind of um, read the gospel surrender their imagination enter in you know and have confidence that Jesus wants to meet them um, in the Word of God I love what you said about the imagination and and how we can ha- think it's fictional and the the uh, what I've been doing with my own children you know I've got a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old. And when we do our little daily prayer time, um, what we do is when we start, I, I just open in a prayer over their minds, and I say, you know, come Holy Spirit, fill our imaginations yeah. right now. Fill yeah. your our imaginations with your presence. Yeah. And, and, and then I'll read a, a scripture account to them, and then I have them draw a picture uh, of whatever God's speaking to them through that scripture. And it's really amazing Excellent. because they'll, they'll, they'll come up with the most beautiful images that they draw or the, or, yeah. or they'll write a song and sit like, like my, my son loves to write what he calls prayer songs. So he'll write a song that, that has been filled in his imaginations. And so yeah. if, if, uh, if babies can do it, you know, if these toddlers yeah. are, are able, if the Lord works through their imagination yeah. to produce uh, a beautiful work of art, that the Lord yes. has inspired them. I think we need to yes. suspend our skepticism and allow the Spirit to work through our imagination and, and trust that this is this is the Holy Spirit guiding us. And, and just like He guides children, He can guide us as adults as well. Amen. Mm. Amen. So, and there really is. Uh, we are all we are all called to encounter um, Jesus in every faculty that we have, every every ability that we have, and and even for the most unimaginative people. Um, uh, they consider themselves non-creative or unimaginative. Um, every single one that I've walked with um, has been um, surprised and blown away that uh, Jesus will um, take their their consent, their willingness, their yes, and and um, and show them um, and show them His beloved Son that G- that the Father will show the Son and show the disciples and invite them into that um, intimate relationship. So, so I don't think that this is uh, that this is beyond anybody. I really don't. No, not at all. This is for everyone. So. So, Father, yes. after um, experiencing the the spiritual exercises, what what happens next in your in your walk? Um, I um, am kind of um, released for mission and ministry. I taught high school and loved it, and um, 
Um, I loved that um, while I was teaching, because I loved the students so much, I didn't I didn't know, I don't know that I would have called it the Holy Spirit, but as I'd be teaching and trying to love these students into a deeper relationship through kind of instruction in the classroom, um, um, I would find myself saying things that I had never said before, you know, and synthesizing things I'd never uh, synthesized before, and and I'd be surprising them and surprising myself, you know, with with uh, with love, you know, love of the Lord um, under the, uh, um, and, you know, trying to communicate the Word of God to them. And, of course, it was kind of the beginning of, uh, probably the beginnings of the promptings of a release of the Holy Spirit teaching, and then uh, I was asked to do campus ministry and, and loved preaching retreats, and there were a couple of times where people were asking for, you know, uh, an Ignatian weekend, you know, or and, uh, and so I was asked to do that and just um, really loved doing that, and my ministry and mission just kept growing. Um, um, I was, did high school for a while, and then and then uh, um, just um, was attracted to getting a master's degree and decided that a place that was really orthodox, really on fire, really faithful was Franciscan University of Steubenville. Yeah, so I to get a master's degree there. I, I got a job there. But what I didn't know, what I didn't know was was that um, this place was charismatic. I, I, I didn't even know that. I, <laughs> I, um, and I didn't, and if I did, I probably would have been like, uh, like uh, freaked out by it or kind of like skeptical about it. In fact, I did arrive at, at Steubenville with a little bit of skepticism about something that appeared to me to be kind of like um, uh, emotionally unpredictable and um, unreliable. Mm. And, um, and unpredictable is okay, but unreliable just seemed to me to be like untrustworthy at first. But I met this awesome, amazing woman of God who, um, who um, I worked with in student life. Her name is Carol Brown, and she was, um, she'd gotten a master's degree in theology. She was also Ignatian. She had made the exercises. She directed the exercises, which br- built a bridge between her and me. And then she invited me on a Born of the Spirit retreat, which I couldn't understand how she could be Ignatian and so intelligent and charismatic at the same time, because I, <laughs> I just considered it kind of unreliably, like, um, just emotionally crazy. And when I went on this Born of the Spirit retreat, I have to say, I went with a only partially open heart, a partially open heart. But God took that partially open heart and, um, and met me where I was at, and I opened mm. myself um, to His Word, and I opened myself um, with my imagination, and I opened myself um, to... Um, to the teaching and then to being prayed over, and God met me right where I was at. It was, it was so, I mean, it was so gentle and it was so strong, and God um, consoled me when I was being prayed over. Um, gave me this um, overwhelming sense of peace, and um, and fortunately, the the word that they spoke into my life um, was a biblical word uh, from the prophet Isaiah. Um, about the desert, you know, coming into bloom. And I didn't feel like my, my life was a desert, but I did feel like something new was being spoken into my life. And, um, and I was really grateful that um, it wasn't a, a crazy experience, at least not at first. It was just this gentle kind of uh, drawing near, that the Holy Spirit was drawing near and going to surprise me, and the Holy Spirit did. Wow. Um, it was a beautiful retreat, and following the retreat within a few weeks, um, one of my residents in the dorm um, asked me for, for spiritual direction, and I basically told him, I've never done this before, you should ask one of the priests. You know, he, he said, oh, okay. And then he came back, he says, I really feel like the Holy Spirit's asking you to be my spiritual director. And I said, well, I've never done this before. He goes, well, would you anyways? And I said, well, let's pray <laughs> and talk and, and see where it goes. And, and, um, and I got on my knees and I said, Lord, you've got to get me out of the way. I've got to decrease so you increase. And I only want him to encounter you. I don't want him to encounter me, you know, in this spiritual direction relationship. And God took me at my word and, and, um, 
And what I found was that God was raising up, you know, the gift of counsel, um, really the articulation of wisdom and knowledge and understanding out of love for the souls that were starting to come. And then, because I loved them so much, um, I, needed, I, I needed the Holy Spirit even more, because I was encountering things and saying things that I had never done before. And, and I really love um, something that Paul VI says in Evangelii Nunciandia. The Holy Spirit places on our lips words which one could not find by himself. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit predisposes the soul of the hearer to be open and receptive to the good news and to the kingdom being proclaimed. Mm. And because I desired words that were not mine, I find, find myself, um, again, kind of like as a teacher, thinking things and saying things I'd never said before. But when I would get into intense situations where I was like, all right, Lord, I really need your help, I would find myself um, beginning, like kind of um, the very beginnings of the gift of tongues. And um, it was silent. It was kind of like even like just behind my teeth, kind of like my tongue would start going. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, Lord, you are, I'm loving this person right now. I'm loving this soul right now. And you're doing something above and beyond that, what I would normally do. And, and mm-hmm. soon tongues was released, you know, not just silently, um, but in, in prayer and in, um, in uh, praise and worship and in, uh, um, in festivals of praise, tongues was released vocally. And then um, God started using my imagination outside of con- contemplation. Um, he started to give me um, um, images and scriptures um, for, for, the, for the upbuilding and edification of the church, as it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 14. And so, so all of a sudden, all these other gifts were being released alongside teaching, alongside preaching retreats, alongside spiritual direction. Uh, those other charisms that, that Patrick listed at the beginning of the hour were beginning to be released as well. And so God was very patient and very slow with me, um, but it was very beautiful that it was, uh, for the sake of love, uh, the Holy Spirit just claimed more and more um, of me and more and more of the territory in my wow. life. And then, and then uh, the, the university decided that uh, my gifts and charisms matched uh, some things that they needed, and I... I was asked by the university to become director of evangelization, um, wow. which put me in charge of the Born of the Spirit retreats and the festivals of praise and weekly <laughs> praise and worship dun, and dun, sent dun, and dun. sun life. And, and so awesome. now I wasn't just a disciple in the Holy Spirit. I was, uh, I was kind of the, uh, the facilitator of God's power being made manifest, not primarily through me, actually primarily through the students. I was at the service of the body, um, wow. helping to facilitate and provide um, opportunities for gifts to be given, gifts to be prayed for, and gifts to be exercised um, at the university, 2004, 2005, 2006, Father, uh, can the I, last years that I was at Steubenville. Can I ask you a question? So, yes, so being being a, an Ignatian, um, and, and you love the intellectual life of the Church, and you're, you're so well-read and studied, and you're a great teacher on the intellectual life of the Church— do you see any conflict between the intellectual life of the church and the charismatic dimension of the church? And should we be afraid that there's oh, no, a conflict there? because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and the Amen. Holy Spirit comes from Jesus and leads us back to Jesus. Mm. And so, uh, so the charismatic dimension, um, in, its, um, in its mature, authentic form, is always going to glorify God, and it's going to be truthful and honest. Um, every single movement in the church, whether it's a new community like ours or a Marian community or, uh, um, or a charismatic community, is going to have um, um, seasons of growth from immaturity to greater maturity. When somebody first gets a gift, it may be given fully developed, but um, frequently it's also given kind of in a, in, a, in a less developed form, and it has to be exercised. And so, you know, I have met people in different um, movements of the church, um, you know, who... Um, 
who are still growing, right? And we have to be patient as, as gifts grow, as movements grow, as people try to do the right thing but might make, make mistakes from time to time. But, uh, but anybody who's authentically under the influence of the Holy Spirit, sincerely trying to, uh, to do God's will, is going to, um, is going to grow spiritually, is going to grow emotionally, is going to grow uh, personally, is going to grow virtuously, and is going to grow intellectually as well. And it's Amen. all of one piece. The, uh, the, uh, the intellectual life and the spiritual life and the charismatic life of the Church are, are all in unison, in harmony with one another. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So, so you're, you're working at um, uh, Franciscan University as a director of evangelization, and then God does something uh, crazy and somewhat unexpected, right? He, he starts uh, to birth a, a, a new religious order out of you. So, so what happens, yeah. Father? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I loved Francis, and, and Francis had kind of like stepped out and had done something new. And that was uh, inspiration. It was also a challenge, but I also knew that uh, Francis had gotten kicked out of his own order at one point. And, and I knew that every kind of founder or co-founder had always had, you know, difficulty and um, had suffered. And I didn't know if I had it in me uh, to suffer like founders had suffered. But um, over the course of the first five years at Steubenville, probably once every five or six months, a young man would say, have you ever thought of founding a community? And I said, no, God, men don't start communities. Only God starts communities. Uh, um, in my uh, kind of in my hesitation, maybe in some authentic humility, maybe some false humility, but maybe also some fear and cowardice. I just wasn't interested in in starting something. I wanted to I wanted to follow someone else. And but men kept asking, and I kept kind of uh, putting them off. And then um, and then God took me up on it. God God started something. God mm. started something. Um, in a 2013. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, 2003. In 2003, um, I made an eight-day silent retreat. Um, I discerned so many different communities and 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 uh, and had uh, um, and had definitively decided that I was going to be if I was called to religious life, it'd be in the context of community. And in that eight day, um, God asked me, "What do you want?" I said, "Well, this is what I want." I made a list. I made a list of the aspects of Eucharistic adoration, praise and worship. Openness to the Holy Spirit, Ignatian spirituality, preaching, teaching, and spiritual direction, uh, kind of missionary outreach, um, uh, and, uh, and all of that was what I wanted, was what I was desiring, but wasn't kind of finding in a place where I was at home. And, um, and I said, well, Lord, when I find this, I will join it. And, um, and about a year later, two young men out of, a, out of an Ignatian household called AMDG at Franciscan University of Steubenville, independently of me, started praying and doing penance about starting a new community. And, um, and when they came to me, they didn't come to me because they thought I was, like, interested. They came to me because I was a staff member at the university um, who was available to, uh, to, start, to help advise and support new initiatives at the university. And uh, there had been new households that I had advised and a new publication at the university that I'd helped advise, and they were coming to me for advice. And I said, oh, well, okay, what are you doing? Well, we're doing praying and doing pens about starting a new community. Well, what do, you, what do you think you want to do? And I pulled out a piece of paper, and they listed all that they wanted to do, um, including Ignatian spirituality, preaching, teaching, and spiritual direction, praise <laughs> and worship, gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, Eucharistic adoration. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of like silent and stunned because they're giving me my list. You know? <laughs> they're giving me my list from wow. a year earlier. And... Um, and the Lord has kind of called my bluff. He's like, oh, you said that if I started it, if I showed it to you, you would join it. And I'm looking at this 18-year-old and this 22-year-old, and I'm thinking, this is not what I had in mind. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and, um, and, I, 
And I had a choice there, you know, to, uh, and, and the choice was, okay, well, I'm going to go across the room, pick up my journal from a year ago, find the page and read the list. And so I, so I did that and I knew what was coming, but they didn't. And I kind of pulled out my journal. I read the list and um, there was just this kind of like this silent peace and curiosity, exhilaration and, um, and, uh, and excitement about what God was doing. And we didn't know what to do next, but the 18-year-old, Nat Center, kind of closed his eyes and then smiled and said, I think the Lord is calling us to leave our boats and our nets behind and become follow him. Yes. yes. Amen to that. Love it. And, and in that moment, in that moment, it seemed that all of the years of ministry and mission and evangelization and everything, everything just kind of fell into place. And my response to, to, to that word from that was, I'm free. I'm free. Mm. And, um, and I was free to say, yes. and every man, uh, that all three of us said the same thing, and, and we just committed ourselves to, to praying into this, to finding the Lord's way, to going to our spiritual directors, to submitting ourselves in obedience to the university and its friars. We just wanted to be um, wholly submitted to the Holy Catholic Church under the influence of the Holy Spirit to serve Christ Jesus and to, uh, to glorify our Heavenly Father. And, um, and, and so that was the inception of this of this very long journey since 2004, I guess, we, uh, under Father Dan Petit, we were formed into the Evangelical Councils and celebrated our first vows. And then um, Archbishop Shapu invited us to Denver in 2006 to attend seminary. And it's been a very long but glorious journey of finding the way that the Lord is, is letting our community be alongside all these other new movements and new communities in the Church to support with uh, the, the dimensions of the charismatic renewal as well as Ignatian spirituality and this Franciscan radical self-gift in poverty and praise and penance. Um, we just love the Lord, we love His Church, and we just want to be of, of, of radical, joyful, generous service uh, to the people of God. Amen. Father, can you share with us how, like, how do you form your, you know, your, th- these disciples coming in the order into a life of poverty? What, what does that look like? Is there a story you can share with us? Yes, um, uh, you know Francis uh, lived with with uh, with nothing, and, and Ignatius too, uh, following Francis, uh, made a long, long pilgrimage from Spain across France and Italy, Mediterranean, all the way to the Holy Land, and he took absolutely nothing uh, for his journey um, to to the place where Jesus was. And and what Ignatius proposes is it works for him, it should work for others. He includes this poverty pilgrimage in the in the in the formation in the in his constitutions and. And we've adopted that as a, as a standard exercise, and uh, I knew I couldn't send anybody into it without doing it myself. And so uh, in 2006, summer of 2006, um, I and some other men made this poverty pilgrimage from Mission San Francisco all the way to Mission San Diego, and we landed at the airport with absolutely nothing um, except a book bag, a change of clothes, a Bible, and a breviary. And God, uh, by His abundant providence, um, uh, provided every step of the way. We put the Lord first in terms of adoration for a holy hour, mass every day, we, um, and then we would just find our way. And, and, uh, and sometimes we walked and sometimes we hitchhiked, but it was amazing that God would just make these divine appointments of providing for someone who would say, oh yeah, I know somebody, or, oh, well, come and stay with us. And um, uh, from, from, uh, 
at, at, at Mission Carmel, where St. Junipero Serra was buried. This, uh, this, uh, this couple took us in, you know, and we were spoiled. They lived in a gated community in Pebble Beach. And, and Mission San Gabriel, we met this, um, we met this youth minister that connected us with this, with this beautiful, um, um, uh, single mom with two sons who, um, who welcomed us into their you know, two-bedroom apartment. And, and they vacated one of the rooms so that we would have a room ourselves. And we gathered around and prayed around the altar, you know, the rosary in Spanish with this beautiful uh, family that was just so generous um, out of their own poverty with us. And so, so God fed us every wow. day, and, and God <laughs> not only fed us, he gave us, the, um, he gave us the resources to feed others, which was beautiful. Wow. Uh, we were generous to the homeless as people were being generous to us. And, That's awesome. And uh, it was just a, it was a beautiful, awesome, radical dependence on, on God the Father uh, to provide for us. And, and now, you know, in our education and evangelization, God continues to provide at every Amen. step. We see him in that exercise, and he continues to do it. That's Amen. so awesome. Praise <laughs> the Lord. I thank you, Jesus. That. Yeah, thank you, Lord. You know, I just want to go back to... First Corinthians 12 and these these charisms that the church pulls out. He says, you know, uh, to one uh, is given through the spirit, the expression of wisdom to another, the expression of yeah. knowledge, according to the same spirit to another yeah. faith by the same spirit and to other gifts of healing by the same spirit to another yeah. mighty deeds and prophecy to another discernment of spirits and to another variety of tongues to another interpretation of tongues. But one yeah. in the same spirit it produces all of these things, distributing them individually to each person as he wishes. And Father, I just yeah. want to thank you so much for being on our show and sharing with us so many of the um, amazing charisms that the Lord has poured out on you. Listeners, these charisms are not just for Father Ignatius. They're for all the faithful. So we're going to close in yeah. prayer. F- Father, before we close in prayer, can you quickly tell us how can people get a hold of your congregation if they want to learn more? Ah, uh, Beautiful. Well, we're in Denver, Colorado. The name of the community is Servants of Christ Jesus, and scjesus.org, scjesus.org will take you right to uh, the website that has our history, um, has um, our vision, has our charism, um, and has um, our representative ministries and missions that we do, scjesus.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're going to close in prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I just want to close with uh, how Pope John Paul II closed his homily uh, on that Pentecost Sunday. He said, Today, I would like to cry out to all of you gathered here in St. Peter's Square and to all Christians, open yourselves to the charisms and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Accept gratefully and obediently the charisms which the Spirit never ceases to give. Lord, I just pray that you would pour forth your charisms upon your church right now. Bless the faithful. Bless our listeners. Father, I thank you right now that you want to heal people's bodies right now. So uh, I just speak to everyone that has problems with their left knee. So in the name of Jesus, I speak against any pain or trauma associated with left knee injuries, and we release your healing over left knees now in Jesus' name. Father, we just bless you for this show. We, We thank you for Father John Ignatius. We pray that you would continue to send a great multitude to him to raise up a vast army for the the kingdom of God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Father John Ignatius. Could you provide us with a blessing? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, May the blessing of Almighty God through the intercession of St. Francis and St. Ignatius come upon all of these listeners for consolation, 
for edification, for upbuilding in the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on Encounter, a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and EWTN Radio, and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. For more information about our show or to share your testimony with our listeners, please go to EncounterRadio.org. That's EncounterRadio.org.